Welcome to the GMS Podcast, brought to you by GMS Distribution. GMS specializes in temporary portable power distribution equipment for the restoration contractor. I am your host and owner of GMS, Jared Steer, and today I will be talking to my friends. Hey, there we go. We are recording. Man, that introduction is just... I got intimidated now. Intimidated. (laughs) (laughs) There is absolutely no reason to be intimidated on this podcast, for sure. Um, Yeah, dude, I am so excited. We've been talking about this for a while. Yeah. For at least a year. At least. I think even before I think even before I started recording, we had had some conversations. I think you mentioned podcast. Yeah, I think you mentioned, hey, I'm starting a podcast. Would you like to participate? And I'm just like Sure. Yeah. I don't know what I'll talk about, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so here we have, uh, this is Frank Gomez. He's my business banker. Uh, we just talked, it was about seven years ago that when we when we first met. And uh, and yeah, man, dude, it has been, like I said, we've been talking about doing it for about a year, so now to finally, finally make it all happen, and we came together, and, and we're getting it done. I'm excited. It's awesome. Um, just to say seven years, like, man, that's crazy. It's been so cool to just be connected. And I, I know there was a time where you kind of did your own thing, you know, you're moving and oh, we so reconnected. So, so, yeah, it's awesome. I'm happy to be here. So thanks. Well, I think in the last seven years, you've had more going on than I've had. <laughs> you've had a lot of changes in your life. And I'm excited to talk to you uh, about those. And it's been fun just watching it all. So, and, the, and whoever's listening, we're going to get into it. You'll, you'll hear about it. But, uh, but yeah, man, it's been, it's been very cool. Thank you. Thank you. You know, it wasn't until you said that, like, you've had a lot going on. So I just kind of reflected and said, you know, there there has been a lot going yeah, maybe on. Maybe a little. It's been a tumultuous <laughs> seven years. I think it's positive, so but, yeah. been, you know, it's been fun. Time flies when you're having fun. Well, go ahead and do, uh, I'll, I'll let you go ahead and do a brief introduction of yourself, your background, how you got started in, in banking and, and kind of where you're at today. So, yeah, um, I guess I'll try to keep it short. Um you know, well, we back. got an hour, so oh, take great. as long as you want. Awesome, great. So <laughs> get ready for this forty-five minute introduction. <laughs> <The 45. laughs> no, uh, so uh, a little bit about myself again, Frank Gomez. I, I work in the financial uh, services industry and have been in it for almost eight years now. Um, you know, kind of worked every single role that you can think of in, in a branch, and you know, moved moved my way up through uh, you know the companies I've worked for to now you know work with just business owners like like yourself, and I absolutely love it. But a little bit about my background: I'm uh, from Colombia, South America. Was born there. Um, upbringing there was pretty interesting. My dad was a doctor, and you know, um, it, it's just uh, it's really interesting how we got to to the U.S. That's a long story. Maybe we could get to that later, but. Okay. Um, you know, moved from Columbia when I was nine years old to New York City, grew up there, and then have been now in Fort Wayne for almost 11 years. Okay. Uh, and then I just, I, you know, I remember I, I always worked in sales. I remember just selling stuff when I was, you know, a very young child. One of the biggest memories I have that kind of kickstarted at what I think is my sales experience is, I think I was like seven years old. In Colombia, you know, obviously the preferred sport there is soccer for the most part. Yep. So I remember playing soccer with my buddies, and I broke a window, my neighbor's window. Okay. And uh, I remember thinking, I can't let my dad find out I broke a window. So what do I do? Like, I got to pay for this window, and I'm a seven-year-old. No money, obviously. So <laughs> seven I, years old. Yeah. I remember we had this, like, popcorn maker where you, you actually take the, you know, the corn and, you know, like a really nice popcorn maker. So I told my, one of my friends, he was 12 years old, I remember vividly, and he's the only one that had a computer with a printer. And uh, we lived in an apartment complex. Okay. And I said, you know what? We're going to sell popcorn to pay, to pay <laughs> for this window. seven years old. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I sold popcorn for a day and a half in the whole apartment complex. I put up flyers with my friend and like, man, it was like professional experience. I would walk out with a tray. And Colombians like their popcorn so with either funny. sugar or salt. So I'd come out with the sugar and salt. Like, you know, what do you want, sugar or salt? Uh, anyways, I sold popcorn to pay for a window. It took me a day and a half uh, to raise the money and not be in trouble with my father. <laughs> and now you have so, the largest popcorn business. In the- <laughs> I should have just followed that just path, right? <laughs> that would have been a much better story for your listeners. But uh but, you know, I, I always like to sell, you know, but not just sell. I always like just working with people. So 
Uh, you know, when I was in high school here in Fort Wayne, I remember working at like cell phone stores, worked at the mall, worked at a dealership, started as a detail guy at, at a dealership and then, okay. you know, worked my way up through sales and then sales manager and then went on to manage another, you know, uh, cell phone uh, business. We'll say, okay, so I'm going to back up real quick because I didn't know you were, I didn't know you grew up in New York. I did. I didn't know that. So at what age do you go from New York to Fort Wayne? I think I was about 17 years old. Okay. Yep, and I finished my high school here in Fort Wayne. Okay. For those that know where Fort Wayne is, graduated from Snyder High School. Okay. So, um, and basically what I'm trying to, I was trying to figure out, so you're basically your working career has always been in Indiana, in yeah. Fort Wayne. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, my adult working yes. career, yep. so, yeah. Not your popcorn. Not my popcorn. Just or, the- <laughs> I mean, there, there, was, there was other uh, projects I had, but we, we don't have to talk about those. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so yeah, going. Yes, you were saying um, what car detailed? You were doing the cell phones and yep. And uh, I had a friend. He worked for a bank uh, in Philadelphia, and he told me, you know, hey, you should apply at a bank. Like, I think you you do real well. Yeah, and you could be a teller, and you, you kind of work your way up from there. And uh, long story short, I did. He helped me get into the bank um, at that time. And um, I started as a teller, and you know, worked my way up. The one thing that I do remember vividly was it was like week two at the job and I remember seeing a guy and walk by in a nice suit and you know I asked what what does that guy do and you know they told me he's a business banker and for whatever reason I said that's what I want to do that was like eight years ago okay so my entire banking career I always thought I want to be a business banker one day yeah and uh I, I mean I can say it's a dream fulfilled now so eight years in the making that's dude. That's awesome. Okay, because that's what I was going to ask you. Like, at what point? Because your your buddy says, "Hey, you should go be a banker." You're like, "Okay, I'll go do that." So I was going to say, like, yeah. At what point did you realize, like, this is what I really enjoy. This is what I really like. But it sounds like it was pretty early for you. It was extremely early. Um, you know, I, um, you know, obviously I'm, I'm an immigrant, right? So I, I didn't have many opportunities. So it was working for a bank at that time was the first time that I got to work for a big, you know, corporation and enjoy benefits and like I get a paid vacation. What? <laughs> That's awesome. I get sick days and I really enjoy that environment. And then just uh, I felt really challenged. I felt like it took also my education to another level. Um, I didn't go to college. I don't have a college degree. I just, you know, I did very well in school. I graduated with uh, academic honors, high school diploma. But, okay. you know, I think that just being so young and starting in the financial services industry from the bottom, you know, truly took my education and my personal development to the next level. So I was just committed. You know, I really enjoyed it. I felt like, you know, it was a great opportunity. And in my mind, it's, you know, I have to make this work, right? Like, okay. this is what's going to help me make it and, you know, help my family uh, come out from the financial burdens that we experienced at the time. And, you know, thankfully, it it worked out. It <laughs> I hope it keeps working out. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, dude, that, okay, I'm, I'm so interested with, like, well, I know the, I mean, anything that happened in, in Columbia and kind of growing up there, um, well, let me just ask you this: um, what's 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 maybe one of the biggest differences, or maybe what's what's something that because you have a son now, mm-hmm. uh, very how, how old? He's not even one. Seven months old. Seven months. Yeah. Um, and congratulations. Thank you. Uh, but what is what's kind of something that your son maybe isn't going to have to experience growing up that you did, or something that he's going to uh, an advantage that he may have that that you weren't weren't able to have so it's really interesting you asked that because i was very fortunate in columbia so okay you know my dad was a doctor and i we weren't wealthy by no means but we were we were well off we lived in a very nice neighborhood um you know he had a brand new car every year and we had okay. you know luxuries i remember one of my uh, very vivid childhood memories was you know our house wasn't huge it wasn't a mansion in fact the house i live in now is bigger than that uh childhood home but my you know being a child i remember that the house was big enough that i can ride my bicycle in the hallway back and forth okay you know this was a really long home so anyways we we didn't experience a lot of the challenges that many people experienced in columbia back then and and even now but uh you know my story's a little bit different unfortunately you know my father is not present in my life never never was after we left columbia but uh you know he was a very ambitious man and in a negative way so he got into some really bad you know dealings okay uh you know with some bad people and uh, these bad people uh, were looking for us to 
take our lives and you know and kill us so that's what led us to flee colombia okay i did not i did not see the story going here yeah it's it's huge man it's you know this is one of the and i don't like we're going to continue with that but this is one of the greatest things about i for me everybody asked me like what's like why do you enjoy doing the podcast i've known you for seven years and am now having a conversation like i had that's huge i had no idea yeah, so it's huge um, so, and I can talk about it very briefly. I think, sure. I, cause I think it's valuable, you know, to my upbringing and, and it shaped me as a person today in many, many ways, not just professionally, but personally with my family, you know, not being a father and things like that. But, uh, yeah. So, you know, uh, my dad basically got into a bad business, didn't meet his end of the deal and owed these people money. And they, I mean, they, I remember we had drivers that would drive us to school. Okay. And at the time I was six years old and I remember the driver stopping at a gas station as he was driving us to school, you know, I have two older brothers, uh, and, you know, these guys will pull up in a motorcycle and pull guns out and say, like, tell your dad to pay up. Otherwise, we know where you live. We know where your grandma lives. Oh, my god! And gosh. we're going to do some really bad things to you guys. So, so, and what's really difficult is where, I'm, where I am from Colombia is um, a city called Medellin. And that's where Pablo Escobar was from, for those people that, you know, are into the whole narcos, the narco, yeah. Netflix, and all that stuff. I, that, that's my city. That's where I was born. So, obviously, you know, at that time, Pablo had already died. But there was a lot of people that, you know, wanted to follow in his footsteps sure. and wanted to do these things like he did. And that was that was the way he did business back then, just threatening people and, and just uh, creating fear. So... Uh, Disclosure, Medellin is not like that anymore. It's a beautiful city. It's one of the <laughs> safest cities in South America. I go visit, you know, at least once a year. Things have changed tremendously there. Colombia is a beautiful country. But, uh, yeah, you know, my mom just said enough is enough. And uh, my mom, I remember, you know, she woke us up one day at 2 a.m. And I remember waking up and seeing bags at the end of the hallway. And she says, we got to go. And my brothers were loading up the, you know, van we had at that time. Uh, they threw the van in neutral, didn't even turn it on, pushed it up the hill so the neighbors wouldn't hear us. And that was the last time I saw my hometown for almost 19 years until I went back in November of 2018 for the first time ever. We just, we had to flee the country. My mom left my father. Wow. And that's what brought us to the U.S. You know, that's what brought us to New York. Uh, that situation there, my mom came to work and, you know, we... So now what was your mom doing? Her career? There was no career. I mean, my mom came here and she worked as a server. Okay. Worked 19 hours a day, sometimes 18, sometimes 16, just to uh, keep us, keep us, you know, clothed and, you know, with a house. Uh, I mean, we, we got evicted from apartments twice in in New York. And so that's got to be a pretty big difference than coming from kind of your, your, I guess your social status in Colombia to now how you're living in the U.S. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, I mean, it was tough. My mom had not worked in Colombia prior to coming to the U.S. And I always joke, I jokingly say, I, I tell my mom, you know, you're the toughest man I know, you know, because <laughs> she just, she busted her back and she still yeah. does. And uh, it was just very difficult out there. I mean, I, I, I remember vividly, you know, my brothers left, uh, you know, there were teenagers at the time. I was just about nine, 10 years old. And I mean, they left to work construction around the country because that's, you know, you know, easy industry to get into yeah. uh, when you come from a different country with no experience. And but I remember my mom working as a waitress and man, it was just hard. to. It was hard. I, I, the budget to eat sometimes was just a dollar a day. Yeah. So, you know, we had ramen noodles. I mean, frequently, you know, and it was just challenging. It was tough. Now, when did you so when did you start working? Was there ever a point where. Like maybe you started working a little younger to help, help provide for the family. Well, I mean, I was I think I was like twelve or thirteen years old. There was a little bodega, it's a grocery store. That's what they call it in New York, a little bodega okay. um, across from the apartment we lived in, and I worked there like two hours a day after school and made fifty bucks a week, and that's what I would use to like buy my own clothes, my shoes, okay, uh, things like that. Just um, you know to to help my mom out a little bit. It wasn't significant, of course, but. You know, she's something. a single woman, you know, making minimum wage. Yeah. And we had to pay almost a thousand dollar, you know, rent payment uh, out there. So it was challenging. I, I'm just like almost like I'm almost just sitting here speechless. Um, I did not I did not know any like that part of that part of your story. So that's but at the same time, though, that really does make sense with the with kind of the things that I know about you now. And in the last seven years, 
you always had a very strong family sense. There was always like, there's there's a drive in you that I saw that you you like it wasn't an option. You had to provide for your family. Absolutely. And that's that's come through plenty of times in conversations that I've had with you over the years. And this is so now hearing this kind of this backstory helps me kind of make make more sense of of that drive and how important it really is to you. It's huge. I mean, it was just it wasn't optional, right? You know, it, there, I had no fallback plan or anything like that. It was just I was the only one working, you know, in the house. And, you know, at that point, you know, I was living with my nephews here. Not I'm talking about here in Indiana now, you know, with, when you met me at the bank. Yeah. Living with my nephews, my sister-in-law, my mom. You know, my mom was working, but, you know, it was just, just tough. I mean, we were talking about three little kids that we had to provide for because my brother just wasn't present, unfortunately, for reasons that we won't get into in this sure. podcast. But, you know, um, so it was just I knew I had to work really hard, and I, I knew I had to build a career. And So you graduate high school. It's you, your mom, and two nephews? It's me, my mom, a sister-in-law, and three nephews. And three nephews. Yeah. Okay. One of them, uh, one of which has autism. Okay. So, you know, just that, that just brings a whole other set of challenges. Another, sure. Right, yeah. So, you know, it was just for me, it was just never like, you know, if I don't if I don't make it in this career, I just have this other option. You know, it, it, it never was that. It was just like, I have to make this work and, you know, I have to challenge myself. And it's like, it was always about what's the next level? What's the next level? What can I do so I can provide more for my family? And I mean, it, it, it's still that way. You know, we, we still help my family out, you know, in, in ways. Right. So um, it's never changing. I don't think it ever will. I'm, I'm, I always say that I'm indebted to my mom because uh, she left it all for for us, for my brothers and I. And she just like focused on providing for us and giving us a good life um, as yeah. best as she could. So, you know, now uh, she's still relatively young. She's uh, going to be 60 soon. And uh, in my opinion, relatively young. Yeah. And I, I just always say, you know, if I can provide her with a nice, you know, life moving forward, I'm going to, you know, she did it for me. Yeah, like you have you have this desire now to you're going to provide for your mom the way that she provided for you and took care of you. Yeah, and absolutely, and, and just uh, even like increase her lifestyle, you know, make her lifestyle better. You know, she deserves it. Yeah, and I think that I think that about my son too. You know, like I always say, you know, my child. Yeah, that was the original question. I forgot about that. Yeah, that was. <laughs> let's go back to the question. <laughs> that was the very first. I forgot. So you know, I forgot about all of that. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, that was a big uh, side note, but. You know, I think about Elijah, that's his name. You know, that's that's a big, you know, motivating factor for me. I think that my childhood in Colombia, I have some great memories. Sure. You know, just to answer your question directly. Uh, but, you know, I definitely have some really horrible memories where, like, I knew we were fearing for our lives. So I think the biggest thing, what I want, what I want for my son that I didn't have is just a safety net, security. It's not, I don't want to give him any hand, hand-me-downs. I, I, I want him to understand that it, you got to work hard to get what you want. And you right. have to earn, you know, uh, what you want. It's not just given to you. So I think that's the biggest thing. But, 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 but the biggest thing that he'll enjoy that I didn't enjoy is the ability to maybe, you know, call dad and say, hey, I need help, you know, or can you give me some guidance or can you support me? Can you help me with, you know, financially one day? And I want him to be able to have that, uh, which I didn't just have. to have that security. Yeah. You know, I, and I, I didn't have and I don't have. <laughs> right. So that's that's the biggest that that's just that's my daily drive. That's my motivation every single day. And, you know, that's why in my office here at home. You know, I keep a picture of him, and, you know, there's another picture that I don't know if you saw. It's his hand holding mine, and, like, that's my drive every single day. Everything I do is for him so that he can have the ability to follow his dreams and have somebody motivating him and, you know, showing him a path that he can follow. Yeah. Uh, that's 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 huge for me. So talking about Elijah and your your brand-new dad, that's so that's so exciting. But if you if you can just have, like, your, your kind of – your dream life for Elijah, what what do you see that you, you know, kind of with that drive and providing for him, where ultimately do you see him him going? Yeah, I don't want him to worry. That's okay. the biggest thing. I don't want him to worry about things that a child shouldn't worry about. You know, okay. like I remember, and I don't think I've ever said this to my mom, but I remember worrying about, like, where are we going to live? What are yeah. we going to eat? You know, and I remember worrying about that. I remember vividly one Sunday we came home. There was no food on the fridge. And like, thankfully, someone came and if they found out about our struggles and gave us some food and, you know, bought us some groceries. Um, I don't I don't want 
I that's I don't want Elijah to have those worries. Yeah, no, I don't know. That's not that's not something a child should should have to think about or worry about. Right. You know, so, you know, I don't want to sugarcoat things. Right. Like, I don't want to paint this. You know, life is perfect. You're going to go on and do whatever you, you know, you dream of. It's not like that. Like, I want I want to ha- I want him to have a realistic expectation of life. Like, yeah. life is tough. Sometimes it's not going to go your way, but that's OK. Because when you find challenges on the path, it's only on the path. It's only going to make you stronger. It, you know, it's only going to cause you to challenge yourself and, and build something out of yourself that you perhaps didn't expect to be. And I want him to know that. I want him to know what hard work means. You know, I don't yeah. just just because I'm creating a, a nice life for my family and we're in a much better position today doesn't mean that I want him to feel like, you know, everything's going to be easy. Dad's going to be here to back me up. Absolutely not. You know, I don't I don't want him to be that. Yeah. But I just don't want him to have the worries I had as a child. That's well, that's the biggest thing. I think I think you can cross off guns pointed at him as one of those <laughs> things that he doesn't have to worry about. I'm hope I mean hopefully uh, all my businesses are legal. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's dude. That's so interesting and uh, and and a lot, I mean I just saw him today for the first time. What a what a cute little kid, man. Thanks, man. Yeah, and he's up there with your with your wife playing and. And uh, let's, I want to go, so I want to, so, I mean, I thought, we're already 20 minutes in, I thought most of this podcast, honestly, was going to be more about, you know, kind of how I've known you from seven years, we, you know, we're going to briefly talk about your background, and then we're going to jump into seven, well, 20 minutes later, we haven't even talked about, like, <laughs> what, when kind of me and you met, and, and what you've been doing since then, but, so let's, I think let's go there, let's go yeah. there next, um, you're, you're at the bank, you're, and you're, let's say you're, you're working your way up. Kind of what's, what's your path there? You know, you, you talked about, you saw the guy with the suit go by and he's a business banker. What is, what is the path for you at that point? And what did you experience from, you know, being the teller to getting to where you're at now as a business banker? What, what, what is that process? Yeah, the biggest thing that I can say, and I've, and I've said this to people and, and employees that have worked for me in the past is you got to take responsibility for your own career. I learned that very quickly, right? You know, I learned that there was there was instrumental people in my life that always motivated me and challenged me and believed in me. But at the same time, those people were not responsible for developing my career. Like I had to own it. Sure. I knew I wanted to be a business banker, so I had to work really hard for that. I continually had to ask for opportunities to be exposed to what business banking meant and things like that. Um, And through that, I was able to just kind of self-develop myself. It wasn't all just my work. Obviously, there was opportunities given to me you know, by uh, individuals in my life. Uh, I've had the uh, great blessing of having tremendous managers, you know, great managers and leaders in my life that have believed in me and motivated me and, and didn't hold me back. But, uh, you know, that's just a big thing. Like, it was hard work. And, you know, it wasn't like I sat down with someone, you know, like let's say you're my manager. Hey, Jared, I want to be a business banker. Right. Checking the box. Great. Let's let's do this for you. It wasn't like that. It was just hard work. Um, but it paid off. Yeah. How long, how long does it, well, two questions. One, kind of how long does that take from when you started a teller, you want to be a business banker to where now, like, you are one. And then two, were there any, were there any kind of uh, education gaps because you didn't have any college experience or any, any formal education there? And how did you have to overcome some things? Yeah, I know. So um, I didn't experience any challenges uh, with me not having a degree. Okay. Uh, but that's because I had performance to show, right? You know, like... When I was a teller, I always knew, like, I can't be just a, a okay teller. I got to be the best teller. Yeah. And I don't know that I was the best teller, but I was a pretty fantastic teller. <laughs> you know, like, I always strive for the best. And when I was a, when I was a banker, like, you know, just a, a branch banker, I always, you know, wanted to be better and, and the best. Which and I would say that's where I met you. That's exactly where you met me. Yep. Yeah. And, um, you know, and I just always worked really hard and made sure that my performance showed that I was working really hard, that I was capable, right? That I was willing to put the work in. And I, you know, I, I they always gave me these opportunities. The opportunities came up. I, I feel like, I don't know if this is true, but, you know, based on conversations I have with individuals around me, I feel like I'm an anomaly. You okay. know, I think that, you know, oftentimes people have to be, you know, at their jobs for a very long time before they're given an opportunity like the one that has, you know, like the ones that have presented themselves in my life. But, you know, anytime I was given an opportunity and anytime that, you know, my managers asked me to do something, I was always willing. And, you know, I did it with a with a smile. And yeah, I think that 
helps a lot, you know, like hard, well, the hard work. Yeah. yeah hard work helps. So, you know, thankfully I always had the experience and, you know, I, I showed, you know, my numbers, my performance showed that, you know, I, I could put the work in, you know, so, um, so thankfully education has never been a challenge for me thus That's far. good. Yeah. 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 Now where you're the position that you're in now, is this, is this your goal? Is it, are you in your dream job now or is there another place you want to go? You know, I say it's a, it's my dream job. Yeah. You know, I love what I do, you know, and particularly because I love working with business owners um, business owners are just different, you know, so passionate, so driven, you know, and yeah. it's also too, uh, it's unique to talk to a business owner because I mean, you're, you're willing to take risks that half the population isn't willing to, you know, like you're willing to say, I'm going to build something and I have to make it work. It's the only way. Right. So it's a dream job for me, but I'm relatively young. Right. So I'm always thinking about what's the next step and what are, I don't know what that is now. Um, you know, maybe being a, a better variation of what I am today, uh, you know, better business banker. But, um, I mean, we'll see where the road takes me. Yeah. Well, I know one thing that kind of stands out to me. Every time I talk to you, you're always like, what can I do for you? What, where are you having struggles? Where, where you know, basically always where can you help? Like what, what can you do to help me alleviate some of the struggles or pressures that I'm having? And kind of with this, this next conversation, um, which I think that's that's one of the things you like you enjoy. You I think you to me to me you come across as and, and I would say even similar to me, it's like you wanna you wanna help the people that are doing the work, like that are getting that are putting the work in. So when you see, you know, a business owner and this is like he's risking it, you know, kind of risking it all or, you know, putting in those long hours, like you're like, Oh, that's like that's where I want to spend my time. Make sure that that guy succeeds through his hard work that he's that he's putting in. Uh, so I, I kind of, that's kind of where I see you, like where your passion maybe is for this, for the job that you have. Does that make sense? Absolutely. You nailed it. Yeah. That's exactly it. <laughs> I should have put, yes. I, I need to put that in my, in my bio. bio. <laughs> <laughs> well, then, so the next conversation, I remember you called me, oh, this would have, this would have been, we're going, we're going, pan, we're going to go pandemic. We're going to go the PPP loan. But I think you called me in, in maybe March 2020 mm-hmm. and asked if I how business was and if I needed anything. Mm-hmm. And that kind of, so for me, my story is real quick. I called my accountant. My accountant was like, nope, you're good. Like, if you think you're good, I'm like, I think I'm good. He's like, okay, we're good. Don't even worry about it. So my story kind of ends there with the, with the PPP loan. But am I saying that right? Is it? Yeah. A P- okay. So that's. My story ends there, but for you guys in the banking world, I mean, kind of, uh, I always like to go like behind the scenes kind of thing. That was chaos for you guys. And, and so, I mean, cause I remember talking to you a couple different times through that process and, and just kind of the, where, help me out, go like, you, what you, is, what is that? What is that story? What is the 2020 story? You've always had the unfiltered, unfiltered version of me. So I was always real with you. Like, you know, I always told you, man, it's crazy right now. Yeah. You know, because <laughs> through the years we've developed a friendship. I, you know, I, I'm really thankful for it. But yeah, it, it was absolutely crazy. First of all, thank you for acknowledging that. You know, uh, I remember uh, seeing, you know, through Facebook and, you know, social media's memes yeah. uh, uh, that would say, check on your banker friends. They're not doing okay right now. <laughs> <laughs> and it was true. It was just, it was crazy. How can I explain this? It was like the world was okay one day and then suddenly it was not and like suddenly there was you know people afraid that their businesses were not going to survive what i really love about a lot of the business owners that i've worked with in my career is that a lot of them are really committed to their employees and they understand that their business is not only a source of income for them but they understand that they may have you know however many employees that rely on them right so if you have seven eight employees you're not only worried about those employees you know that those employees are providing for families so yeah. there's a very emotional there's there was a very emotional uh connection to this whole you know ppp thing and like the pandemic you know pandemic right like we're going through a pandemic right. like we don't know what that means we've never experienced one and then add to that you know all this lingo you know the ppp and you know funds that people needed but it was chaotic you got it exactly right i mean i, I i'll tell you what uh, we worked and I know a lot of other people in the financial industries industry did as well. I mean, we worked 24 hours. You know, we were 
I, I, I remember hearing this expression uh, very often. We are serving a, our patriotic duty to these businesses that are in much in need. Okay. And, like, that may sound silly, right? Because when you think about patriotic duty, you know, I think about, like, people in the armed forces, you know, like, they've done so much for our country. So I don't think that I'm not comparing our service to right. that by no means. But, but page, I, to me, though, patriotic service is just, like, you're you're putting in maybe – you're maybe doing a little extra, making sure the country succeeds and survives. And if it was like that, you know, it was like that. Um, you know, I remember talking to a business owner that called me on a Saturday afternoon right after the program was uh, implemented and he was in tears and he said, like, where are we in the process? Like, what's going on? I hear all these things on the news. They just said, go to your bank on Friday and collect your money. And it wasn't as easy as that, of course. Now we know that. Right. And, like, you know, if I don't get this money, I'm going to have to shut down my, my business. What's going to happen with my employees? You know, because at that point, you know, there was already talks about a massive shutdown. And, like, the cities are going to shut down by this time. And you, you can't operate if you're in this industry or, you know, that and the other. So it's very scary. And, like... You know, hearing, you know, I don't want to, I don't want, I guess I want to make sure I say this politically correctly. Um, but hearing, hear, seeing anybody cry is difficult, right? Yeah. But, you know, seeing a male cry, in my opinion, is particularly difficult, right? Because, you know, um, we put up this front, you know, as men that we are tough and like we can handle it and, you know, things like that. Not that women are not tough. Like I just said, my mom is the toughest <laughs> man I know. Uh, so, you know, it has nothing to do with uh, gender or anything like that. But it was just tough. It was really tough to hear him, you know, uh, moved and so, so concerned. Thankfully, his business is okay. You know, everything's fine. And But uh, it was chaotic. You said it exactly right. Well, I think going back to, you know, the, the crying in that, like when you when you see somebody that that shows you immediately like where they are, it's it's so honest. You, you can't you can't fake that. So when you see it in somebody else, I mean it's, it, it it takes you to a place immediately. Absolutely. You know, I remember uh, you know when I took the call, I was in the middle of cooking lunch because I hadn't been able to eat all day. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it was tough. It was challenging and. And I remember just like as soon as I heard that, like I, I stopped. I stopped everything I was doing. Yeah. I may have I may have even burnt our lunch. I don't remember. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it, it was sensitive. You know, I know that there's a lot of talk about the way that the financial services, um, you know, handled this situation. But, you know, I, I don't I don't care what brand, what bank you were at. You know, I think everyone worked really hard. Uh, there was a, you know, what was really talking about something positive. I think there was a lot of collaboration, you know, amongst you know, different institutions then. Uh, okay. Obviously, you know, that's that's what I read, and, and I, I think I truly saw that there was, you know, everyone in the financial services industry was really interested in figuring out how to make this work and get much-needed funds out to businesses that really needed it. Uh, hindsight, it's sad to see what some, in, you know, individuals did. They took advantage of this. Uh, I'm happy to see that some of them are, you know, getting caught with the fraud they committed. Okay. But, you know... Um, you know, as I read, I just read an article the other day about, uh, I think it was a woman in Houston that took out a $3.4 million PPP loan and went out and bought like four houses and Range Rovers oh, really? and just committed all this widespread fraud. They deserve to get caught, you yeah. know, because it was sensitive. It is sensitive. You know, um, it's, uh, this this may sound cliche, but it's it's uncharted waters we were we were in, you know, and. Um, I, I'm glad to see that, you know, those funds have helped a lot of businesses keep their doors open. Um, we've lost a lot of businesses, you know, nationwide. You, you can read some stats on that. Um, I don't think we're done seeing that in my opinion. Um, I'm not an economist or the greatest financial expert by no means, yeah. but you know, uh, I do think that we are going to continue to see the impact of 2020 throughout the coming months, you know, and, you know, it's just gonna be tough. I think so too. Uh, to me, to me, I feel like we've we've kind of had a band aid on some things for a while, but the band aid's getting ready to get pulled off, and and then we're gonna see what. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, and there's there's people out there too that you know basically uplifted their entire lives to keep their businesses alive. You know, I know of people that sold their homes, and right. you know, uh, liquidated all their assets to keep their business you know alive. I know of people that you know. Comp completely changed your lives and their lifestyle 
to keep their businesses open and to keep their uh, employees employed. And I commend those individuals. I commend them. You know, it's tough. You get into business because, A, you're really passionate about what you do. Uh, but also, like, we can't deny the fact that you start a business because you want to have a different level of income and you want to, you know, live a different lifestyle. And to change your lifestyle overnight just to keep your business open is, is commendable. Um, yeah. So, you know, obviously people change their lives. And I guess we'll see what happens. Um, I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic. I'm an optimist by nature. I think things are going to get better. But um, there's still challenges ahead, in my opinion. So kind of, kind of going into the PPP loan process, um, you know, and through that kind of, kind of chaotic time, I know, I think I, I remember a specific conversation with you at one point where it was like the, I, I'm going to call them procedures, but the policies or maybe things are like, things were just constantly changing and so fast. And it was like making it harder for you to do your jobs because like, you know, you tell your customer one thing and now. I'm going to say like two days, three days later, oh, that's wrong. Now it's this. Mm-hmm. And kind of like how is it? Do I, am I remembering that right? Is there? Yeah, I think it was a very fluid situation. Um, you know, what, what happened was, um, and I'm not going to speak about internal processes or anything like that, but, you know, I do know that, you know, Congress was talking about passing the bill and they passed the bill, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, uh, and your listeners can correct me, but I think they passed it like a Thursday night at 10 or 12 o'clock. And okay. and they had already planned to, um, you know, start the program Friday morning. So like Thursday night, uh, the news. This were, is what it was. Yeah. This is what it Thursday was. Thursday night, they were, you know, they were telling people, the news were saying, get ready to go to your local bank on Friday morning and collect your PPP funds. As you guys had. And like, we were like. We don't even know what the program says. Like, we haven't even read the bill. You know, like, how do we implement this, right? And obviously, this is well, you know, well above my pay grade. Uh, but it, it was just, it was chaotic like that. You know, we, you know, it, we had no time to kind of figure out how we were going to do things. Uh, but I'm really proud that, um, you know, we figured it out. Yeah. And, and and I think we got it down. You know, we're doing it right. So. And I think that was, I, I know for business owners and I, you know, remembering that time, I mean, kind of, I mean, a lot of people were frustrated and I feel like the banks kind of got the bad rap for it, for a lot of that frustration, but you know, people were frustrated. They didn't, they didn't know what was going on. They didn't know what was available. They didn't know how, is, is it forgiven? Is it paid back? Is it, you know, there were so many, it seemed like there were so many questions on the business owner side. And then when is it coming? When, you know, if we put in the application, how do we know? When, when we're getting it and this guy got it, why haven't I got it? Mm-hmm. And so much of, so much of that, but really, I mean, the, how much, how much control is the, as the bank do you have over uh, a in, lot of that? In my opinion, not very much, yeah. you know, especially when, you know, the media was saying, go to your local bank and pick up, pick up your money. Right. You know, it's, it's like, I always find it funny when people would come into a bank and say, Hey, I want to, I want to withdraw $80,000 in cash. And it's like, do you really think we keep that much cash? <laughs> you know, uh, you know, it's it's like you can't do that. You yeah. can't go to the it's, bank and expect to it's withdraw. Physically, not there. Right. It's just yeah. not going to happen. You know. So, um, it, so it's just interesting to hear the news saying like, go to your local bank, contact your local bank, and so you know, I think that um, it, the way I the way I can describe this is, I think we're just like at the starting line, w- waiting to hear the gun go off so we can start the race. And it's like, the race started, but we're waiting to like, okay, how do we run this race? Like, we don't know how to. But I think for the most part, you know, there was no control. It was just madness. It was like Black Friday, and you just open up the doors of Best Buy, and you were getting trampled on. And you're, yeah. just, you're, just, you're just out there greeting people, you know? <laughs> like, we were the greeters. Sure, we'll help you. Yes, we're going to help you. Rest assured, we're going to help you. We don't know how yet, but we're going to help you. So, you know, it was, I know there was a lot of hard feelings out there, but, um, you know, I don't, I, I, I mean, as I think back, I don't, I don't know, I don't know what could have been done better, you know, uh, from the financial industry perspective. Um, I think from, you know, I I don't know. I don't know that there could have been, you know, a better process, even from a Congress perspective, like, sure. They wanted to get money out there quickly, right? And there was no time. That's how they made it feel. And um, 
you know, I don't know that, I don't know that them saying, hey, sure, we're going to pass this bill and we're going to give you, you know, we're going to give the banks 10 days to review it and then you can implement it. I don't know that that would have been the right thing to do back then because, you know, there's such an urgency to things. Businesses are getting shut down and different businesses operate differently, right? There's some businesses that have cushion and they can say, sure, I can make payroll, you know, for two weeks or a month. Hopefully most most businesses can do that. Uh, But there are some that don't. They rely on like that walk-in traffic they rely on active operations to be able to meet payroll and pay for expenses so you know i think there was definitely a high sense of urgency and that was just the reality of it um i think that we've all learned lessons from it i think business owners have learned a lot of lessons you know i don't think that anybody really talked about contingency planning and things like that as much as they do now some business owners did but yeah, I can't stress that, you know, not just from a business perspective, but from like a personal perspective, you got to have a contingency plan. You got to have a backup plan, right? You know, like what if you lose your job? What if something drastically changes in your life? What are you going to do? How are you going to, this is the the uh, word of 2020, pivot. How are you going to pivot, pivot, right? Yeah, <laughs> Everyone pivot. says that. I almost hate using that word now. But yeah, how are you going to change directions to do better? So uh, I think business owners have learned that. Well, and it's interesting that you, you kind of went there because that's where I was getting ready to go next because you said earlier, um, you know, some businesses can can make payroll for two weeks. And, and then you said something you said, and hopefully most businesses can do that. So kind of in, in your, with your, with your advice to business owners, because a lot of my, I would say most of my listeners are, are business owners. Um, what is maybe, is there, is there any like, just an easy piece of advice you'd be like, hey, businesses, if you start doing this tomorrow, your life will be easier. Or, yeah. or even in that contingency plan, as maybe somebody's looking at that now that they never have before, are there any sort of steps or guide that you can give even, even there? Yeah, I think the biggest piece of advice I would give is don't work for the business, work on the business and find out when that time is right. Because if you continue to work for the business, you know, like, you know, my brother and I just started a painting business. Yes. Right. So, you know, I always, this is a great analogy for me. If you are rolling a wall and you're painting it and you're just focused on that roller and painting it, you know, and painting that wall, you can't really see your entire work. You can't see how the job is being completed, right? You're just focused on completing a task and that's it. So when you are a business owner, generally you start because you have a trade, like you have a trade, you know, you, you build power supplies, but when you are able to say, okay, I build power supplies, but how can I scale? If you want to scale, scaling is not right for everybody, but how do I take a step back so that I can see what's going well and what's not going well, right? So it's not enough for you to be able to run your business and make enough money for you to feed yourself on a weekly, bi-weekly, monthly basis. You got to think about the future. So when you take a step back and you're able to take a look at your entire operations, you're able to see areas of opportunity, And I can't tell you how many financial experts say that, you know, and, you know, I've seen business owners that do that, that they have taken on businesses that have been passed on through generations. And I hear that, you know, like their parents or their grandparents, you know, achieve this level of revenue. You know, I I use revenue as an example because that's kind of like your demonstration of success. Like I've, I'm, you know, if you want to be a million dollar business, like, yeah, I'm a million dollar business and revenue and sales, gross sales. So I hear all these stories about grandparents or parents you know maybe had a, a business and for 30 years their revenue was always 600 700 thousand dollars top top sales that's pretty good money you can live off of that but like why not scale up or let me take a look at some areas of opportunity and i've hear of people that take on the business they take a step back and they say whoa like we can probably my time is better invested doing you know, something else or managing the business or growing the business or ensuring that we have a contingency plan, how to reduce cost, you know, am I, because we're experiencing a time of prosperity, am I being frugal enough or am I just paying the bill or am I constantly thinking about, can I get a different supplier? Can I reduce cost here? How productive am I being? How efficient are my employees being? So we take a step back, you begin to see that. And I think that's what business owners did now. Okay. They took a step back and they said, holy cow, we're paying that much for this? Like, you, you mean to tell me that that's what our bill has been this whole time? We can't afford that now. Let's find a more cost-effective avenue. Okay. So why not do that all the time? Seriously, make that, yeah, make that kind of your, and I know for me, 
and I don't know if this is enough or not, but for, I know for me, it's basically once a quarter, I'll set aside a day or two. I don't, really, I don't even know if that's enough, but I like, to, but like I consciously set some time aside to go, okay, yeah, where can I get something, you know, can I, and basically for me, a lot of it was uh, in growing in the past, past years is where can I buy in bulk and save, save 10%. Mm-hmm. You know, can I can I put more on the shelf, but then save this? And that's where, that's generally where I've been able to 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 make some big big savings in in my company as we move forward. But yeah, but to take that time to, yeah, so like you said, just step back and look and see if there's any opportunities. It's okay to step back, right? Like because sometimes you get caught up in the madness. Like you're experiencing a really busy time in your business right now. Yes, yeah. And like it's okay to experience those times, right? But, like, there has to be a time to take a step back and say, okay, how did I do? Was that busy time productive? And um, was that busy time profitable? Yeah. Just because you're busy doesn't mean you're profitable. Right. Right? So, so like, being able to take a step back and saying, okay, I could have changed some things, could have done better. It's only going to better position your business. And um, you're going to be able to create that contingency plan. So, like, you know, I, I think about, you know... Fortune 500 companies and things like that, um, some of them go through stress tests, right? Like, okay, what if everything just shut down? How would we do? And, like, it's good to ask yourself those questions. Like, you know, like, what would happen if, you know, I've got, you know, what if your revenue solely comes from, like, a customer? Okay, what happens if a I don't know. I don't know how a customer is doing. They're just paying my invoices, yeah. So, like, I'm okay. I don't question their position. But, like, you don't know if a customer is borrowing to pay your invoices. You don't know what their financial condition is. So, what if that customer disappears? What is that going to do to your business? Right. That's kind of like a stress test, in my opinion. And, again, I'm not an economist. I'm not a financial expert. But through experience, um, through ex- I, should, I should say I'm not the greatest financial expert. <laughs> I've accrued some expertise. You know, clearly I'm not, like – but. That's, that's just the biggest thing. You know, asking yourself those questions is going to help you to better position your business. Yeah. Yeah, but no, great advice for, for anybody that's, you know, in, the, in your business. Take that, take that big step back. And then also, I mean, 2020 is forced contingency planning. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. I think it's, a, you know, a word that it's, it's, not, it's not a fun word, right? Like, you got to – it seems cl- uh, cliche, right? Like – do you have your contingency plan? You know, yeah. it's like it's like asking someone, "Do you have a will, or do you have your estate planned out?" What well, I think too, and maybe this is just me, but small business owners, we're all taking risks. And it's like contingency plan. I don't need that. I'll, yeah, like, I can work. About? I can work harder. Yeah. I, I made this work in 08. I'm going to make it work now, right? <laughs> <laughs> and it's true. That's what that's what's admirable about business owners, right? But like, you have to, and and, and maybe you'll be okay. But like. No, contingency plan is a, a good idea, right. for sure. And taking a step back is just going to allow you to see some areas of opportunity. Well, I want to switch. I'm going to switch topics completely. Perfect. You and your wife, how did you meet? Ooh, we met at, uh, we worked together at the bank. Okay. We did, yeah. So we became friends that way. Um, and, um, you know, she, she moved on and do something else for the bank we worked for at that time. And we continue developing that friendship. We've been together now, um, it'll be almost five years, four years of marriage. Okay. Because when we started the podcast, we were talking about kind of, I've known you for almost seven years and everything that I've seen you. So I've seen you go through many promotions to get to where you're at now. I saw, you know, you met your wife uh, and got married. You just had a child. You bought a house. You, I mean, you've been... You've been on your way, but you've been doing a lot of big things in the last the last five years. So this yeah. is probably the biggest one, is is meeting your wife. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think it was uh, it was life changing. I, I I would always say I'm not getting married anytime soon. And, <laughs> you know, here I was. You know, I, I guess people can do the math. I was like 25 years old. You know, and I'm like getting married. You know, like yeah. I, I did not want that, but it, life wanted it for me. You know, and it's been great. It's been good. Very cool. Um, it's your storyteller, and I always, I always like that about you. What's a, I don't know, maybe a, a vacation, a trip you and your wife have gone on something, something that stands out 
in the last five years on a personal level, not not business anymore. But yeah, uh, the biggest trip was in 2018. You know, again, we went back to my hometown, Medellin. Okay, after. 18 oh, I years. forgot about this. Yeah, that was yeah. we talked about it earlier. Very early. I on. wanted to come back. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So we went back. Um, you know, obviously, um, to my hometown, and it was nice because I remember seeing, you know, pictures of nieces, not nieces, cousins that were born, and they were just babies. And in my mind, they were babies. And then when I get to Columbia, they're like these. 16 year old you know beautiful women yeah and i'm like whoa like i thought you were a baby so anyways what i'm getting to is it's just really cool to have seen them and how much they've grown and i hadn't seen my grandma for like you know she had visited for some time but then she couldn't visit so it had been almost like 12 13 years since i had seen my grandma and it was just nice. It was nice to see family. Um, I will say, though, it, there was a lot of anxiety because I knew going back to Columbia was safe. Okay. You know, um, I knew that going back to Medellin was safe. You know, like it wasn't it's not anything like it was in the Pablo Escobar times or like when, you know, people watch Narcos. It's not anything like that anymore. OK, but there was there was a lot of anxiety, which was really interesting because my life in Colombia was just very early childhood, right? So, like, I don't have a lot of memories of Colombia. Um, just very limited. I, I could probably count them, you know, with my hands. But I do remember, like, just, like, having anxiety when I would see some people or, like, if I heard a motorcycle, uh, it was a very distinct sound that would just, like, scare me because, you know, I remember, you know, seeing motorcycles drive by and, like, shoot places and things like that when i was a child so like that created some anxiety but uh but then like i eased into it and it was just an amazing experience yeah. like the minute that i opened up and i saw that okay this you know this is where i grew up we went back to the house where i grew up and where i could ride a bicycle inside the house and just like remembering those memories um it was it was just surreal i, I it's, it's just a crazy experience because you know most people grow up here in the states and some people you know don't relocate far from their hometown sometimes sure so like going back to your childhood town it's you know great you have some memories but for me it was like it's a completely different continent yeah it's a completely different country so uh and i don't remember much of it like i consider myself you know more american than colombian because my entire life has been here right but just going back there was just neat it was awesome no what your what did your wife think going back she was very nervous as well, you know, like, okay. it's like, it was funny because there was times where, like, you know, my whole family would tell her, like, don't speak English over here, you know, because we don't want people to know you're American. And then they, they start asking you for money or start selling you stuff. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, so she was like, what do you mean? Like, she was just, like, panicking. But uh, what was really cool is um, she was uh, willing to try any food out there. Okay. We don't have exotic foods. Like, we... You know, like... Oh, no, I'm really interested. You know, like, now, you know, like, in Asia, they serve you, like, live octopus. Yeah. I don't know where in Asia, and, you know... Well, I don't know the... Live live octopus. Yes, like squid. So, like, I've seen... YouTube this, guys. The people are listening to us. <laughs> like, they, they put it in a to-go plate, and they, like, sprinkle soy sauce on the thing. The thing moves everywhere, and they eat it that way. We don't have that in Colombia <laughs> that I know of. If you like that kind of stuff, it's okay. Go to YouTube. But the first thing she ate was, and the first thing we ate, I remember telling my family, you know, I told them, like, hey, when we touch down, I don't want you to take me to any restaurants. I don't want any fancy food. I don't want you to cook. I want you to take me and eat street food. Like, okay. I want to go to a place where there's a bunch of carts because that was a, a vivid childhood childhood memory of mine uh, that we would go and, like, walk the streets and there's, like, these carts, you know, like, little food food carts and, like, they would cook amazing food and it's, like, that's what I wanted. Yeah. So, uh, the first thing that we had was fried tripe, which is intestines, guts. Okay. And it's delicious, man. It's, it's, it's really good. You have the I biggest know. smile on your face right now. <laughs> Fried intestines. Yeah, so... You is, know, there a, is there a certain intestine? I think it's pork. A pork intestine. Yeah, they're tiny. They're definitely not, you know, like cattle or cow or anything like that. Okay. But, you know, I, you know uh, I'll find a picture and show you before you leave. Okay. But uh, <laughs> Great. <laughs> but I remember, like, you know, my family asked her, hey, you want to try this? She's like, sure, I'll try it. And she's, like, chewing it. She's like, nah, I don't know about this. And I, I said, you know what you just ate? She's she's like, no. I'm like, you just had guts. She's <laughs> like, oh, guts. God, I don't want any of that. <laughs> <laughs> so she loved it. Uh, you know, we talk about, you know, uh, going back all the time. I want to be able to have a home out there to, like, retire, 
you know, uh, and not that we would live there year round, but like being able to go there. Have something. Yeah. And it's just the lifestyle is different. You know, the biggest thing is I urge everybody like look up some trips to Colombia and find or South America. It's just beautiful. It's so inexpensive to travel there. People are great. Food is phenomenal. It's not that far either. Like It's not. You know, we're in Indiana. Yeah. So we fly out of Indy three hours to Miami and then three hours from Miami to Columbia, almost anywhere in Columbia. Let's again, my, my flight from Indy to Seattle, six and a six, half hours. Yeah. yeah. So like you could be in Columbia you right. know, from Indy. Yeah. But uh, I think the biggest, what I really enjoy there is not that Columbia is a perfect country. Obviously, I live in the U.S. for a reason, but nutrition is just huge. Um, food's cleaner. Okay. Uh, you know, food is fresher. You know, you order juice, you're likely going to get a fresh fruit squeezed, you know, and, um, you know, when we eat here, when I eat here, I do, you know, sometimes feel like I'm sick, you know, you feel like food does something to you. You know, I remember being there and not being sick once. Feeling good. I just being overly full because they kept feeding me so much. (laughs) But other than that, I mean, food's just phenomenal. So if you're a foodie, travel. That's, yeah. Yeah, go, go somewhere in South America and. Enjoy now, the food. No, that's so. Yeah, I haven't been. Well, the only places I've been out of the country, um, Mexico a few times, Canada, and then as far as overseas, we did a, a trip to Paris and London. Uh, just well, been been like a year and a half ago, and but but yeah, to go in and and tr- and then and when we try to when we go there, you know, try to experience something authentic, something that's, and that was a that was a lot of fun, but. They didn't have fried guts in Paris. <laughs> they didn't have that I that I found. You can have uh, you can have uh, I I don't know what they call it, but they uh, you can have gut tacos here. There's some Mexican joints that will sell you a gut taco. I mean, I'm biased. They're not as good as Colombian guts, but <laughs> Colombian we don't, guts we are don't, better <laughs> than, than the American. Guts. We don't have tacos in Colombia, so we don't serve them in tacos. But uh, <laughs> oh, fun stuff. This is where the, this is where all oh. your listeners they're like they're gonna turn it off. Like, just yeah, we're done. Now. This yeah. just this just went somewhere else. Well, we got yeah, we got to the point. We got done. to the gut point. That's where we turn off. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, I I'm this has been a long time. It getting, has getting ready to you know get this podcast. We've been talking about it, so uh, it didn't disappoint for sure. We've we covered so much stuff, and and dude, you have, you have. An amazing story. You have a great story. Thank you. Thank you. You have a great story. And you deserve all the success that you've earned. I mean, congratulations. We're sitting in your, your house. You just bought this house, what, three months ago? Yeah, closed on it's it beautiful. December 16th. It's beautiful. Yeah, we cried uh, definitely when we took possession of it. You know, I, I cried um, and I said, man, I just fulfilled the American dream. And that was surreal to me. Good for you. You know, it was like, it was crazy. It was very emotional. You know, for us, because like my whole life flashed before my eyes, like, yeah, we were, you know, I remember getting evicted of apartments and like, we all live in nice homes now. You know, my mom lives in a nice home here in Fort Wayne. Yeah. And like, this is a dream house. So. Dude, good for you. Yeah. Thank you. I'm happy. I'm I'm very happy for you. Um, I do have, I do have one question though. You talked about getting, now we're talking about houses again, the house in Columbia. Since you were since you were born in Colombia, like how do you have like a dual citizenship? I do currently, is, yeah. So okay. I'm a permanent resident here in the U.S. So this is my last year of being a permanent resident. Um, I was gonna make a joke about uh, immigration, but if they listen to this, I probably shouldn't make a joke. I just gonna, I was gonna say <laughs> they, need to, they need to hurry up and process my application because I'll be a citizen this year. Hopefully, if uh, if things go well, so uh, I'll be a U.S. citizen. I'll likely relinquish my Colombian residency. Okay. Uh, or citizenship, I should say, um, probably. But currently, I have dual citizenship. Okay. Yep. That's yeah. That's interesting. That was. But so, if you, because I know there's other countries where if you if you don't have citizenship, you can't own land. But that it's not like that in Colombia. No, you can own land. I mean, there's a lot of expats that go out there, and I know I know firsthand of a lot of um, retired servicemen and service women that go to Southern American countries like Colombia, Venezuela, Argentina, okay. uh, simply because of the cost of living. I mean, you can live well with like fifteen hundred bucks a month, two thousand bucks a month. You can live very well. Okay. So you know, a lot of pensions. Are that much, you know? Right. So you can live pretty, pretty decent can life out there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you won't struggle. You eat. You'll eat good. You'll live in a nice house. 
Uh, you won't have financial burdens if you have 1500 bucks a month, in my opinion. That's, that's not very, I mean, it's not a lot. No, you don't not. need a lot. No, uh, so I'll tell you this is anecdote to kind of put it into perspective. When I was in Colombia in 2018, we went to a resort. I shouldn't say a resort, but it's a it's a tourist town um, where there's this big rock. It's a big rock. That's the best way I can say it. it's a mountain. And there's about 800 steps. You can climb up up the mountain and oversee this beautiful place but anyways i was there with my entire family and the people kept tagging along so it was like 13 14 people with me okay and uh i've always been a very giving person so i was like let's go to lunch i'll pay for everybody so i took them to the nicest restaurant that we could go to out there and I, you know people were looking at the menu and they were shy. I was just like don't worry about it just order whatever you want so people were in lobster steak chicken all this stuff octopus no live op- octopus <laughs> unfortunately <laughs> <laughs> But they were ordering, they were just living it up, right? Eating, yeah. eating like kings and queens. And I took the bill. And uh, how about you guess? How much do you think I paid oh, for 14 God. people? 14 people. Yeah. U.S. dollars. Just t- taking a guess. I, I hate I hate doing these kinds of things. 400. 400 bucks? Yeah. I paid $90 for 12. <laughs> 14 people, actually. <laughs> and people were eating good. Yeah. Ninety so bucks. Put it into perspective. I mean, you can get a decent. Wow. You can get two nice meals at a burger joint, like you know, not uh, franchise. You know, burger joints like a nice burger joint. Two okay. nice meals. Yeah. Which you know, I did three dollars and fifty cents, and it's quality so your food. Dollar, yeah, your dollar goes quality a long way food. there. Yeah, goes a long way there. Obviously, you can spend a lot of money if you go to a high end restaurant and things sure. like that, but. In my opinion, there's no need. You know, you can go to the corner joint, have quality food. Well, now I want. When are when are you going back? I want to go back this year if uh, things go well with the pandemic, because um, they have strict restrictions right. and things like that. So I want to make sure that we're not stuck in like an in between period. But hopefully in yeah, November, some quarantine for fourteen. Yeah, days you know, or like something. I don't want to go there where restrictions are eased up and then like suddenly you know things go back to uh-huh. being restricted. But I I want my son to meet grandma soon so okay hopefully this year if not very early next year well i want to go after talking to you i want to go experience columbia but i want to go with you let's go i, <laughs> I always tell people let's go like i'm totally up for it. you'll have a great time yeah uh you'll probably there's a really fun story there's a guy out there uh i don't want to milk the clock here because i've got plenty of stories but <laughs> there's a guy there's uh that has a youtube channel i forget his name but he's australian and uh, he lived in Canada, and then him and his buddies decided to just go motorcycling across, you know, the U.S., Mexico. They're like, let's go to Central America, and they on wanted motorcycles. On motorcycles, yeah. So they just did all this, you know, thing, and they got to Colombia. And he's like, I love this place, and he relocated to Colombia, and uh, an Australian, right, individual that was, I think he has a Canadian citizenship, and started a business there. Okay, he has like a version of Airbnb where he bought properties, and you know now they're. For rent you can rent them as hotels and things like that for a couple nights i think i'm sure you can rent them on a monthly basis too but he's got properties now all throughout the country i think they've expanded to puerto rico too but anyways he felt he was infatuated with colombia with just the culture the food um we have um a saying here in the u.s where you know you say southern hospitality yeah you know where people are hospitable yeah um in colombia it's like you, you go to my hometown medellin and we say that, you know, we have the hospitality there because people are just so nice, you know, so kind. And food, food's great. I keep saying it. Food's great. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad you kind of, because I'm a big Narcos fan. So I'm glad you cleared up Columbia for me. So I was like, well, I'm never going there. So yeah, I think that's a, now. it's a big misconception. It's no different than like you ask anybody about the Middle East sometimes. And they think about like Iraq. They think about deserts. You know, they think about, you know, all these terrible things that have happened with wars. But like, I've never been to the Middle East, but. I have a lot of friends that are, are Middle Eastern. Okay. And, like, think about Dubai. Yeah. How beautiful that place is. Oh, yeah, any of the images that I've ever seen. You yeah. know, like. Beautiful. So, you know, there's a lot of misconceptions that are painted by what we hear and see. So, um, obviously, you got to be, if you go to New York, right, I advise you not to make a turn in an alleyway in the middle of Times Square at midnight. Because you asked me for advice. This is unsolicited advice. You will get mugged. (laughs) In New York City, you will get mugged. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, you got to be conscious of your surroundings. Sure. But, um, and that's that's true anywhere. That's anywhere, though. Yeah. Yeah. So, 
I think it's no different in Colombia. There's definitely cities you don't want to go to, but definitely go to Medellin. Narcos uh, caused uh, something called narco-tourism, where people now, uh, tourists, tourism has spiked up in Colombia because of narcos. So there's companies really? out there. Yeah, I guess it makes sense. Yeah, why wouldn't it? You know, so if you watch the show, you probably vividly remember that there was a time where Pablo was being driven around in a taxi to, like, you know, go do his dealings and collect. So there's companies out there that will give you that ride <laughs> in a taxi. Follow the, yeah. follow the Pablo tour. The Pablo tour. And they'll take you to, like, you know, some of his houses and they'll take you to the prison he built and all of that crazy stuff. I, I don't. We Obviously, we didn't do any of that yeah. because... Uh, Pablo's a horrible man. I would say it's got to be a bad... It's a bad, you know, it's like... I mean, people are making money off the tourists. Why not yeah. make your dollar? But at the same time... It's like, we don't want to talk something, about that. Yeah, something you're not very like, proud of. We're tired of. of it. You know, like, it's like you, you tell somebody like, oh, I'm Colombian. Oh, you, you must have that cocaine then, you know? Like, <laughs> you must have that good stuff. It's like, no, we don't. No. Yeah. That's not that's not all there is in Colombia. That's not all there, yeah. We got coffee. Just we got bananas. Stereotype. We have emeralds. <laughs> <laughs> it's not just the illegal stuff. Give, give us some credit here. Stuff too. <laughs> we got legal exports. <laughs> oh well, I do. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if it'll ever happen, but it would be so much fun to to travel Colombia with you someday. S- safe city to go to to uh, Cartagena. Okay, look that up. Uh, you'll be pretty safe there too. It's Very awesome. Cool. It's on the Caribbean. Well, let's go ahead. We'll wrap this up. You got a uh, you got a little guy upstairs that probably needs to be probably needs daddy hugs and smooches <laughs> before he goes to bed. So, um, Frank, dude, so much fun. I'm I'm glad we were able to make this work and get this get this recorded. Thank you so much. Yeah, it, it's an honor. I'm so glad you're doing well, and this is awesome. Good for you. Hey, well, thank you. Well, hey, well, then I'll wrap it up for us. We are recording right here out of Fort Wayne, Indiana, in Frank Gomez's basement studios. Hey, have a great day, everybody. <laughs> thank you.